Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Opportunity to sort of... Am I ringing a bit? I'm alright. I'm good. Um, so that opportunity to be able to speak to a group of people about Jesus is always exciting. And especially off the back of a worship session that's about the church, that's about actually the importance of the church and John's sort of word about actually how we gather together, you're not just on your own. Um, And that makes a massive difference that when you hear what I'm going to say today, um, whatever application there is, you're not on your own. Um, It's about working together, loving one another, and as a church, where we're going to go because of it. And in the Psalms, David speaks of this joy in knowing God that's greater than the joy that anything else can offer. So he talks about actually sitting down and watching people that, that were this, experiencing this real satisfaction in life. And he'd marvel because actually, even though he didn't deserve it, the joy he had from God was greater than the joy they got from the world. Um, and there's something beautiful about the joy we get from knowing Jesus. Um, you can come to church and, uh, and be involved in a worship session. You can go to a community group and learn how to love God and love one another. Um, you can read your Bible more. But ultimately, being a Christian is so much more than that. It's not about what you put in your diary. It's not about what you take out of your diary. It's not about how much time you pray or how much time you read your Bible. It's about the fact that God has got hold of you and radically transformed you to become something that you weren't before. And he's put purposes and plans in you that actually mean that you can go out and live for him, for his glory. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's meant to be exciting. It's meant to be dynamic. It's meant to be different from what the world has to offer. So when people see it, they know that it's good. And that's what I want to touch on today. I want us to marvel at our salvation. I want us to once again see who God is and then look at ourselves and think, actually, if this is who God is, therefore this is who I am. And therefore this means, actually, I might have to do something like this. Um, for me, at the age of 15, I couldn't help but give my life to Jesus. Um, I realised that I had all this head knowledge about God. Um, I'd grown up in a Christian family, but actually that head knowledge hadn't really got me anywhere. Um, I'd also had a lot of success at school, had some really good friends. But ultimately, I realised that life was pleasing, but never really satisfying. Jesus promised satisfaction. Um, I knew I was a sinner, and I knew I needed him, and I knew that I couldn't save myself. So on a very hot day in August 2003, which I don't think was that long ago, but some of you are going to think that was a long, long time ago, um, God turned my life around. My heart of stone was transformed to a heart of flesh. And suddenly I started to care about things I didn't care about before. I had this passion for Jesus, this ridiculous passion for Jesus. I wanted to see people saved. I wanted to see people come to church. I wanted to see people get baptized. I took friends on Alpha courses, which is all these courses about talking about Jesus. Um, And I wanted to see God break into their lives. I remember being part of this um, Christian union at school. I was in a secular secondary school with about 1,500 students. There was never a Christian union before, and we decided we're going to set one up. And every Wednesday morning before school started, we would stand outside the school gates with little leaflets that we'd made. Our school would hate us because of this. Literally, at schools, you have like a print credit, how much you can print. And we would coordinate because they got it wrong. So you could only print a certain amount on each printer. So the day before, we would just blitz every printer in the school between us on all these sheets, cut them up so we were ready. 1,500 little bits of paper we handed out every Wednesday morning as people came through the gates. And you turn around afterwards, and it was just littered <laughs> everywhere. Literally hundreds and hundreds of pieces of paper saying, actually, this is what we're going to do on Wednesday. We're going to talk about Jesus. Um, every Wednesday, we probably had over 100 students that didn't know Jesus turn up to eat cake, very, very important, 
especially for teenagers, but also to hear about Jesus, to hear about the gospel, to hear about who he is and what he has done. You see, the desires in my life weren't the same as what they were before when God broke in. I wasn't the boy that I was previously. I was still struggling in sin. I'd still be hot-tempered. You know, you might not think that of me, but you know, still be hot-tempered. And I would still often choose or fail not to love others, but I knew that I was in Christ. And I look back at those years fondly and what God did after that, of baptising one of my closest friends, um, of praying for strangers in the street for healing. Literally, you'd see some people like, on crutches, and I'm going to go pray for them. And it's all a bit awkward and weird, but you want to, I just wanted to see God do things. I remember standing, um, standing in Camden, uh, preaching at 1am to a queue outside Coco, which is a club, and I preached to them because I knew because they were queuing, they couldn't go anywhere. Yeah? If they had to leave that queue, they couldn't get into the club, so I had a waiting audience for me. Um, I don't really know if anyone took anything from it, but it was exciting. It's exciting because God had got hold of me and put these desires inside of me that I didn't have before. Um, but I'm not the man now that I was back then. I'm still excited about Jesus, definitely. Um, And I still see salvation as crucial, really crucial. That moment where you give your life to Jesus is fundamental. When I look back at my life, there was that turning point moment. I was going in this direction, and now I'm going in this direction. That's huge. I've had the privilege of being one-on-one with a lot of people and praying the prayer to lead them to Christ. It's it's beautiful. But I've realized it's not really just about the prayer. It's not about the moment. It's about the journey. Okay, that's what it's about. It's about bringing people through. It's about sharing your life. It's about being vulnerable. It's about celebrating with others, crying with others, praying with others, laughing with others. It's about discipleship. It's about taking people on a journey of faith, involving them in your journey of faith, and showing them that this guy, Jesus, is worth following. That's what it's about, and that's what I want to talk to you today about, what discipleship is, how biblically it's a no-brainer, you can't argue against it as a Christian, it's just so clear this is something we've got to do, and then practically off the back of that, what do we do because of it? So that's what we're going to look at this morning, so I'm going to pray, and then I want to get going. Lord, I thank you um, that we're here. I thank you that we're here because of you. And I thank you that no matter what different stages of life we're in, we can all come to know you as the living God. You're not just this um, God that created everything. You're a God that knows us intimately. And I pray that every single person here, including me, will leave this service knowing you and loving you more than when they came in. Holy Spirit, I pray you take the words that I say. I pray you penetrate hearts. And I pray that your name is glorified because of it. Amen. 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 So the passage we're looking at today is in Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Um, it's called the Great Commission. It's pretty famous. Um, I'm going to read it from here because I've got a different translation down here. So it says, The eleven disciples travelled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, it's a really famous passage. If you've been a Christian for a while or been churching for a while, you would have heard this being read out. You might have heard it preached. Um, it's pretty clear and pretty straightforward. But I just want to pause for a moment and just say this is the very last thing that Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended to heaven and was therefore not going to see them again. This is the last thing he was going to say to his best friends. The disciples had already lost him once at the crucifixion. But they got him back again, and now Jesus wasn't going to be coming back, certainly anytime soon. 
Okay? And he, didn't, he could have chosen to say anything to them in these passing words. He could have reminded them to love one another. Just love one another. Love one another. You know, do that because we've done that. He could have reminded them how to pray. Remember I said how to pray? Our Father art in heaven. Remember that when I'm gone, pray. He could have told them to do that. He could have reminded them to forgive one another. Okay, to be a different to the world. Choose to forgive, even if it's difficult. He could have reminded them about the bread and wine that we took today. Remember a few weeks ago, we took bread and wine, and I said that you're going to do this in remembrance of me. And now I'm leaving, and now you need to take it to remember me. He could have just made that really clear for them, but he didn't. He gave them a new teaching. He gave them something to commission them with. He said he, he had to, they had to go and make disciples. He told them to go and do what he had done. Okay? It's a famous statement, but often the global church has forgotten this. The global church has focused on so many things. Prayer, fasting, healing, spiritual gifts, forgiveness, worship, preaching, the lot. And none of those things are insignificant. They're all really important. But they come under this umbrella of discipleship. Actually, it's about teaching people how to follow Christ. And by doing that, I'm going to teach you about prayer, fasting, um, spiritual gifts, and all those other things. And that's what Jesus was trying to show. Actually, if it's not about discipleship, if it's not about carrying people through on your journey, then the fruit is going to be minimal. Someone, I don't want someone to be able to stand up here and know how, know how to preach, know the points that they're meant to make. I want someone to stand up here that is so in love with Jesus that they want to bring people on the journey to see Jesus, and in doing that, they will preach well. Okay? And that's what we're here to do today. So my first point for us is that Jesus has should come up. Boom. Jesus has authority. Okay? So in the passage I read out, it said, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's about Jesus. Owen said this last week. We say it every week. Every song says it. Bread and wine says it. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it again. It's all about Jesus. Okay? When I talk to non-believers, people that don't know Jesus, they want to talk about a whole host of things. The creation story. Do you really think six days? What about seven days? What about seven million years? Or however. What about evolution? How does that work? What about the flood? Was there an actual global flood? Was there a rainbow? Did the rainbow really mean this? How did Noah get the animals into the ark? Did the lion want to kill those other animals? How would they have survived those 40 days? What about the food? How does that work out? People want to talk about those things. They want to talk about the church, the history of the church. Oh, what about these different denominations? There's Catholics, there's Protestants, there's Methodists, there's Seventh-day Adventists, what are even they? Yeah? And they want to ask these questions. And actually, I just skirt around all of those things. It's not about any of that, it's about Jesus. Okay? Now we can hit those other things later. If you want to talk about Noah's Ark, I, I could talk about Noah's Ark. Yeah? But Noah's Ark isn't going to bring you into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is going to bring you a relationship with Jesus. I want to take you to him to show you that he transforms people's lives. The Bible says he is the image of the invisible God. That's pretty important. When you see Jesus, when you read his words, when you hear the things that he has to say, he offers life, he transforms everything because he is God. All of creation was made through him and for him. He has complete authority and he's able to use it as he sees fit. He could do anything. Before the world began, the Son existed, not in the name of Jesus, but within the threefold nature of the Trinity. It's a bit mind-boggling. I'm not going to focus on it much. It's a preach or a series of preaches in itself. But it tries to show that actually God is transcendent. He's above our comprehension. The more you think about him, you're never going to truly understand him because he is different from you, and therefore you should be called to worship him. The world was made for us to live in. He desired a relationship with us, although we don't actually add anything to him. And yet the threefold nature of God, this eternal, beautiful and complete God, chose to change everything that has ever been in order to save us. 
Before anything was made, before we ever existed, God existed. I don't quite understand it. Before there was time, there was God, because he's outside time. Okay? It's, it's ridiculous to even think about it. I don't get it. But God decided to change what has always been in order to save you and in order to save me. So the Son, part of the Trinity, took on human form. He became a man. Now, we think men are quite impressive. Men are not impressive compared to God. It's like you're becoming a slug for the rest of your life. Okay? And a bad one at that. Okay? Um, he became something insignificant. He was born out of wedlocks. His mum and dad weren't married. That's a really big deal back then. He was born within poverty. Um, his dad died when he was quite young. Um, he was born to a family who never understood him, to a nation that chose to reject him. And in the end, as you know, he was crucified on a piece of wood. The creator on the universe was made to hang on the material that he actually shaped and formed. Okay? In the creation story, God made everything. And it says that everything was made through, through him and for him. And then Jesus is hanging on something that he himself has created. He had nails driven through his hands and nails driven through his feet. His beard was pulled out. He was naked. He was spat on. He was mocked. He was rejected. He died the death of a criminal. He faced excruciating pain on the cross and the agony of the punishment of sin on his shoulders. We focus on the pain of the cross, but that's nothing compared to the pain of the devastating sin that was put upon him, that he took on our behalf. He chose to separate himself from the Father, to be rejected by the one that he has always been part of in order to save us, in order to bring us back to him, in order to redeem us, in order to restore this broken relationship. He's graceful, he's merciful, and he's eternally beautiful in his nature. He didn't need to improve himself, but boy, he did. He really did. He did absolutely everything in order to win us, in order to bring us back. That's why we worship him. That's why prayers are thrown out towards him. That's why we ask that we want to know him more, because he is glorious. That's the authority. That's the authority that he stood in. And we get to live within that authority. We get to live shrouded in his glory. It says we're clothed in his righteousness. What Jesus has done, he literally places onto us so we can enter God's presence. doesn't matter what we've done, when we've done it. If we've chosen to follow him, we can enter his presence. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6 says, I, and that's Paul speaking, planted the seeds. So he's talking about planting seeds in people's lives. Apollos watered it. This other guy came and sort of fed into those people. But God made it grow. It's all about God. It doesn't really, like, I can do something, but what I can do is basically offering my bread and fish to God, and then he he takes what is pitiful, and he multiplies it, and he feeds 5,000 people with it. That's what God does. He does things that are glorious. I want to move on to what discipleship is in a minute, but I don't want us to forget that it all starts with Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. It's about the authority that we have because of his authority. He did absolutely everything to win you, to show you that he cares about you. And for some of you here today, I don't know, but this might actually just be the most important part of the message. What I'm going to go on to say I think is really relevant. Actually, you might be sitting there and saying, I don't know the Jesus you're talking about. I don't know him. I may have never given my life to him, or actually, I have in the past, but the way you talk about him, actually, I've never really got it. I've never really sort of, sort of lived for him. It's just, just been this, this eternal slog, this eternal, actually, I need to make it happen. You don't need to make anything happen, because Jesus has already made it happen. And I don't want to move on before I give that opportunity. That if you are here today and you just think, Do you know what, um, I want to know this Jesus. 
And I really want to know this Jesus. Be it for the first time, or be it that last week I, I made some kind of commitment and it never really worked out, or 10 years ago it never worked out. If you feel that actually I want to recommission myself to follow him, or I want to follow him for the first time, um, I want to give you the opportunity to stand. So if you're sitting here today and you think, you know what, I want to know this Jesus. And you don't need to be able to cross every T. You don't need to be able to dot every I. You don't need to understand it all. But if you think, actually, who Jesus is, I need him. If you're sitting here today, I can ask you to stand for that. Just going to pause for a moment. Because uh, when I had this when I was 15, it's quite arrogant. So uh, I waited for a long time. And by God's grace, the guy on the stage gave me a bit of time. Do you want to know Jesus? Yeah? Do you want to live for him? Yeah? Say yes. yes. Yeah? It's not just a nod. Yeah? Do you want to leave this place having captured something about who he is? Yes, I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I thank you for Raymond. I thank you for who he is. Lord, I thank you that today he's decided, actually, even though I don't get it all, I do get that there is a God out there who loves me and is for me, and I want him. Lord, and I pray that through the rest of this message you stir him, and I pray that even though it's about the journey, that this is this moment in his life that's pivotal, he looks back and thinks, that's where God got hold of me. Lord, and I pray that this church is a church that can surround him and love him and help him pursue the creating God, the all-encompassing, glorious God, so he can walk in the promises that he has given to him. Amen. Take a seat. We'll have a chat at the end. Okay. Um, that, that's gospel, yeah? That's like someone giving a life to Jesus, and now they get to sit here for the next 15 minutes and hear someone talk about Jesus and see what God's going to do in their lives, okay? That's what God does. He changes lives, okay? My second point today is Jesus says, be like me, okay? Be like me. This is Jesus. I'm Jesus at this point. Be like me, okay? So he's saying that, and have you ever wondered why Jesus took so long to get to the cross, Okay, he was born, he did 30 years, really, of just sort of living. Uh, we don't really know much, we know really small snippets. And then he had three years of intense ministry. Called the disciples, went and healed people, walked on water, turned water into wine, all this crazy stuff. And it took three years to get to the cross. And sometimes I think, why did it take so long? I mean, people are dying in sin. Um, people are totally um, removed from who God is. Just, just get on with it, Jesus. Yeah, you don't have to wait those three years. Just go and do it now. Okay? Also, there were these times where he would heal people and he'd say something ridiculous. He'd say to them, don't go tell anyone. As if. Yeah? As if. This is the only time where people disobey Jesus and they don't get condemned for it. Yeah? So can you imagine? You can't walk. You've never been able to walk. This guy, Jesus, rocks up. He prays a prayer or does something. In fact, he didn't pray a prayer. He just, just said to him, get up. Get up and walk. So then you can walk. And then he says, don't go tell anyone. That's ridiculous. Now what did he do? He went and told everyone. Or there was a guy who was a leper, which was like a skin condition, um, which was highly contagious, and therefore you were treated, you were, you were seen to be on the edge of society. You weren't allowed in the cities. You had to be as far away as possible. And Jesus went and touched them, which in theory was pretty weird in the first place because no one was allowed to do that. And then they were healed. And Jesus was like, don't go tell anyone. If that was me, I'd be thinking, hang on, Jesus, I wasn't allowed in the cities. I'm now allowed in the cities. I'm going. 
I'm going to the cities. I'm going to tell people what has happened and what Jesus has done in my life. But the conclusion of that, which is why Jesus said don't go tell anyone, even though he secretly knew they were going to do it, is that Jesus had to remove himself from the cities and he had to go and walk the country. Okay, so he went and walked the country lanes. He went and sat in boats on lakes and preached to the masses. Okay, and he went and did that to remove himself from the city because he was delaying his time on earth. He didn't want to get to the cross until it was the right moment. Why is that? I don't think he delayed it for his own good. I think he delayed it because he needed his disciples to get it. The disciples needed the three years. Jesus didn't need the three years. Okay, Jesus knew. He knew what he came to do. He knew what he was called to do. He was taking the disciples on a journey. It's like, it's like me agonizingly walking at the pace of my 17-month-old son. Okay? God does that. He walks the pace of mankind. And do you know what? When the next generation comes in, he slows down his pace again, and he walks that pace because he wants to demonstrate who he is, and that's what Jesus did. Jesus gave access to his disciples. He let them in. He walked life with them. He showed them his heart. He challenged them, and he loved them. Jesus tells his disciples what he's come to do. He doesn't just make them guess. He says, I've come to bring in the kingdom. I've come to bring in what God has sent me to do. He doesn't let the disciples just sit there and try and work it out all on their own. He's trying to teach them the message. He condemns the Pharisees when they try and attack the disciples. He stands up for them. He champions them. There's this beautiful moment, um, well, I think it's beautiful anyway, you can obviously make, have your guess here, where um, the disciples and Jesus are walking towards the temple and they see a tree and um, the tree's not really producing any fruit and Jesus curses the, the tree. Bit weird. Yeah, I've never met a, a Christian that curses trees. But he curses the tree. Disciples are probably thinking, what's going on here? But this is Jesus, not going to question it. Okay? Then they go to the temple and Jesus has like this crazy moment and he chucks over the tables in the temple and there are reasons behind it, but, but at that moment there's money flying, there's animals flying, there's people shouting and then Jesus leaves the temple with his disciples and on out, when they've left the temple, they deliberately go back past this tree and the disciples say, oh look, it's dead. The tree's dead. You cursed it, and now it's dead. Okay? Jesus was showing them something. Jesus is saying, in the same way I've cursed this tree and it's died, I've cursed the temple and it's died. God's presence has left the temple because God's here to do something different. But what's significant is the people saw the temple demonstration. The disciples saw the tree. Jesus was taking a group of men on a journey of understanding. He wanted them to comprehend the scriptures. He wanted them to grapple with the nature of God. He wanted them to be convinced of his purposes and his plan. It was for the disciples. It wasn't for Jesus. There were times when Jesus spoke parables and people didn't get it. He's talking to all these people and the disciples are sitting there and they're thinking, I have no idea what Jesus is talking about here. It sounds like a riddle. Never do they say, hey Jesus, remember, I'm your good friend. Just a bit of advice here. No one's really understanding what you're doing here. No one gets it. So Jesus, can you just try and say it differently? Maybe just make it a bit more applicable. Yeah, so they get it. They never did that. Why? Because they knew that when the masses went away, they would get that moment with Jesus as a small group. What does that mean? Explain it to me. Piece it together. Show me how it works. And Jesus gave his time, he gave his emotions and his life to feed into them. He discipled them. When there was a storm, did Jesus really need to be asleep in the boat? Maybe I'll ask him one day. 
Did the disciples really need to get to a stage of utter panic in order to call on Jesus to wake him up so Jesus could just stand up and say, be still, and the storm is gone? He wanted to show them God's authority. He wanted to show them his power. Did Jesus need to walk on water to challenge Peter for taking his eyes off him? Did Jesus need to show his disappointment and grief in one of the disciples betraying him, even though he knew it was already going to be part of the plan? Did he need to choose to form such close relationships and friendships that when they ate together, they'd literally recline on one another in intimate fellowship? Did he need to show them his tears over Jerusalem? Did he need to show them his distress in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was due to die? Did he need to tell Peter in advance that he was going to mess up? And did he need to walk on the beach one-on-one with Peter after his resurrection to bring him back into relationship with him? I would say that Jesus needed to do all of these things, every single one of them. Because Jesus came to defeat sin, he came to defeat death. He came to do that and then to set a people apart through the church to redeem people, to restore them, to build them together so that the church could then go and display to the world what Jesus was about. And Jesus would have known Without discipleship, the church would never have got off the ground. Without discipleship, actually, it would have got religious and it would have just got focused on the law and it wouldn't have really been about love. It would have been restricted. Jesus knew, I need this group of people to start a movement that's going to change the world and therefore I need to feed into them so that they go and feed into others as well. He equipped them and then before he goes to heaven, he says, go and do the same. What I have done with you for three years, go and work out how to do that in the way that God has made you and do exactly the same so that there will be another group of people, men and women, women, but hopefully more, who are going to go and do the same when you're gone. That's what Jesus came to do. Now, don't get me wrong, I love the idea of big church. Like, the more the merrier. Yeah, cram them in. Okay, I want to see that happen. But actually, it's about big people, not big church. Okay, you're not going to get a big church unless you're investing into big people. Okay? You show people your journey. You show people how much you love Jesus. You take them on your journey and you, you illustrate and demonstrate how God is good and what he has done. And they're going to get caught up in it. And then suddenly they're going to tell other people and the church is going to grow. The church isn't going to grow by us having an admin um, meeting and having a really good website, even though Toby loves website ideas, wherever you are. Sounds great. Yeah? But it's not going to grow primarily because of that. Because if it did, there'd be a chapter in 1 Corinthians on get your website sorted. Yeah? And there isn't one. It's about loving one another. It's about cherishing one another. It's about saying, actually, because I know you love me and I love you, and you trust me and I trust you, let me show you Jesus. That's discipleship. And Jesus did it every moment of every day, sacrificially, so that when he's gone, he knew, I've got people there that can go and do it. I don't even need to be here anymore. Okay? My third point for you. The last point was pretty long, just warning, Um, is a proud man's journey. And that's me. Okay, so this is about me. And um, my last point is really about actually, I used, growing up, you probably wouldn't think that, but growing up, I was a bit arrogant. Um, uh, There was pride definitely in me. I I really, I mean, some of you might still say I'm like this now, Um, but uh, I really did believe that I could do absolutely anything. Yeah? So even when God had saved me, even though he saved me and put plans in front of me, he has equipped me that means I can do absolutely everything. So the danger for me is I'm going to run at a million miles an hour. I don't really need God, okay, because I know that I can do it on my own. 
And there was this definite, this, 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 this pride within me, these streams of arrogance. And God has taken me on a journey over the last 10 years in this. Um, I don't believe I'm the same now as what I was. Um, I don't believe that I can do anything on my own now. I believe that he chooses me and I can continue to throw myself in to the promises and the plans that he has. But actually, in myself, I can't do it. He is the one who does it. But at the same time, I do stand here as a proud man. It's a different type of pride. It's not this sinful pride, even though there's still elements of it. God's going to redeem me. It's great. But it's not this sinful pride where it's all about me. It's this pride of I'm a son of God, that he has loved me, that he cherishes me, that he has plans and promises for me, and that by his grace, and it's a privilege, I'm able to run in them and to see fruit in my life. I'm proud. I'm proud what God has done. Because if I can't be proud what God has done, I can't champion the God that has done it. Okay? And I want to instill that in you. I want you to leave today thinking, do you know what? When God gets hold of something, I can be so proud in who he is that it just lifts my soul. And that's what discipleship does. Um, He's amazing. God's amazing. And he does something within us to see an impact into other people's lives. And I want to end this preach just by giving some some practical um, demonstrations, really, by explaining things that I've done over the last few years to show you how I've worked out discipleship. But I want to say, first of all, it's not about me. Okay, the church doesn't need more Dave Smiths. Dave Smith is a very common name, by the way. Um, sometimes people at school ask me, "Oh, can we find you on Facebook?" Because I get a good chance. Yeah, <laughs> type my name and five million people come up. Go scroll through them. Yeah, but it's not—it's not about that. It's not about you've all got to become like me. It would be a disaster. It would be an absolute disaster. You need to be the person God has made you full capacity. That's what you need to be. You need to be, with all your personalities and your character traits and things that you love and the things that you don't love, God wants you to be you, okay, so that you can pursue him. It's not about me. I also want to say from the word go that I'm not perfect, many of you know this, um, and I haven't got it all sorted. And in fact, if you ask the people that know me the most, they would definitely be able to agree with it. So, Lee's my wife, you know, hopefully she wouldn't say too much, but she'd be able to tell you a few things where I haven't always got it right. Okay, um, lots of the boys that are sitting here today that I've taught at school and I've known for a good few years. If you wanted to hear stories of things that I've said that are wrong, done that are wrong, um, they'd have loads. They would have loads and loads of those stories. Um, and again, I hope they wouldn't say it, but you never know. Go and ask them, see what they do. Yeah. But it's not about me. It's not about the fact I've got everything perfect. It's the fact that I love Jesus and I want to demonstrate who Jesus is to other people. So here we go. As a teacher. When I started my job um, about six years ago, I recognised that primarily I was paid to do a job. And I was paid to do a good job at that. Okay, so starting in a school, it wasn't really about um, the impact I could have on the students. It was about actually what has the school employed me to do and how do I do that really well? How do I do what's required of me? And that's almost the first nugget I want to give to you. Wherever you are, do a good job. Don't be one of those Christians that, oh yeah, oh, my boss says this, but I'm not doing that because I'm telling people about Jesus. No, you're not. Okay? You are getting paid to do your job to do your job. Okay? Because actually, when it comes down to it, I wouldn't have had the respect, I wouldn't have had the platform and the foundation to tell people about Jesus if I wasn't doing a good job. Okay? It's not all just spiritual. Okay? It's by doing the things that God has given you and doing them well. Don't be one of those Christians that just steps back from the world. Okay? Work hard, work well, deal with difficult colleagues. Don't just skirt away from them. Show your workplace that you're committed, show them that you want to learn, okay? Show them that you care. Okay? 
and it makes a massive difference. After a while, though, I started to realize that actually for me, it, the, the teaching is going well, but actually I've got this, this large group of students that actually I've got an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And I never really dreamt of this. I never imagined what it might end up like. I mean, it wasn't in my head. I never thought that two of them would be godparents to my son. I never thought that some of them would come over my house quite regularly and would pray, or that people would pray out and worship, or I'd get to baptize some of them. That was never part of the plan. It was never in my head. I never thought that far ahead. All I thought about is, I need to start working out how to make a relationship and a good one with the people that God has put in front of me. That's all I thought about. So how do we do it? We played silly games. We threw tennis balls into bins. Um, We played table football, hours of Uno. Um, When it was my birthday, I would bring donuts in to everyone, which they thought was great. I recognized that some people don't like donuts, so I'd buy cookies for the people that didn't like donuts. Jordan doesn't like donuts. Weirdo. But I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that. And that did mean, in the end, he probably got a whole pack of cookies to himself because everyone else had a donut. Yeah? But I tried to remember and share my life with people. They knew that I was married. They knew the name of my wife. They knew that I had kids. When Esme was born, um, she's only a few weeks old, and I took her into school. Now, that's not unusual. Staff do do that. They take their kids into school, and they take them into the staff room so everyone can, the, the adults can hold their children. I didn't do that. I took them into my, her into my form room, and I've got, like, 20, 13 to 14-year-old boys, like, holding this little girl and passing her around. And I remember staff would come into the door, and they'd be like, this is weird. Like, are you trusting them with this, this little bundle that they could just snap? in half. And yes, I was trusting them. I was trusting them with what, at that moment in time, was the most precious thing I had. Because I wanted to show them that I cared, I wanted to show them that they mattered, and therefore that they could trust me. Do the same. Spend time with people. Choose to laugh. If you like being silly, be silly. Don't just be serious your whole life. Okay? Have fun. Okay? If you like playing sport, play sport. If you like reading books, read books. Okay? Whatever you're into, do it with people to build relationships. Show people that you trust them. Show people that you care. I'd also go out of my way to do things that I didn't really need to do. I would champion my students. I'd speak well of them. Um, I would choose to think the best in them, when sometimes there wasn't much to think the best in. Um, I, uh, I did, and also, when there was problems, when I did something wrong, and inevitably in schools, they did do a lot wrong, um, I tried to deal with it internally. I didn't spread it. I tried not to go to various people and escalate a problem for there to be more consequences. I tried to keep it in-house, because I wanted to protect them. I wanted to show them, actually, we're in, the cru- in the crux of this, you can trust me. It's fine. I'm not like some of the other stuff. Okay? I'm not going to try and belittle them in the way they're doing things, but you can trust me. In your workplaces, show people that you can, they can trust you. Yeah. Speak well of them. Don't speak negatively of them to other people. Okay? Let them see how good you are because God is good. Um, where am I? I used to do other things. I'm not a maths teacher, um, and I'd sit down and help some students with their maths. Agonizing. It was really agonizing, that one. Um, or I'd help them stick sheets into their books. Or I'd organize their planners. Or help them work out how to do work at home. I basically invested. I was there in school before they got there, and I was there in school after they left. My room was always open. Okay? You weren't allowed to leave your door unlocked. That was a rule. Okay? I did leave my door unlocked. Okay? Because there was an opportunity, sometimes as they got older, they needed somewhere to go. Okay? Other staff spotted it in the end. Students spotted it. And suddenly there was an opportunity to tell people about Jesus because there was this relationship there. Through all of this, I would choose to speak words of affirmation, words of encouragement. Don't lie to people, though. 
People do this. Don't, don't say something about someone that's not true. Yeah, because they spot it a mile off. Okay, it's fake. But find something good about someone and speak into their lives. Years of building people up. Years of acknowledging the good things that God had done in them. So there was a foundation. So when there was a problem, and sometimes there were problems, okay, there was something to rebuild on. I remember a time with Mark, and um, uh, there was this moment, I remember quite clearly, I don't know if he does, but he's sitting in the form room, and he's angry. He's really angry. And he's not saying anything, because he knows if he says anything, I'm going to get him. Yeah, but he's really angry. He's angry with me. Yeah? He's primarily angry with me because the way I've handled the situation and I've just been authoritarian and said, actually, this is the way it's happening. Okay? And you let those emotions subside. You let him sort of get control of himself a little bit more and you sit down and you can recall all of the good things. Do you remember this? Do you remember this? Do you remember this? Do you remember we've done this? Do you remember you've said this? Yeah? And you can build someone back up again and you can show them, actually, this is about relationship. This one thing doesn't ruin everything. Okay? One thing with your friendships in work shouldn't ruin everything because they can recall what you have already done in their lives. The Bible calls us to love. It doesn't ask you to love. It calls you to love. I chose to do it, and actually, this is quite key, I chose to say it. Yeah? I chose to say, I love that about you. Okay? Don't just let people um, assume that you love them. Tell them. Okay? Be different from the world because Jesus in himself was very different. Now, in all of this, I did put snippets of Jesus into conversations, but to be honest, I didn't really do that much. Um, I remember with Renardy, when it really clicked, he was doing homework in my room, probably because I was forcing him to, and he asked to go to the toilet. I said yes, and I knew he was into music, so I put some Christian music on, so when he came back, we could just have a chat about it. Okay, so he comes back, music's on, and we talk about the words, we talk about what it means, and suddenly it, it sparks these conversations about who Jesus is. I didn't wait for an opportunity. God didn't tell me, put some music on. That didn't happen. It didn't, I, didn't, I didn't close my eyes. He just said, Hill songs. Yeah? That didn't happen at all. I just thought, you know what? I want an opportunity to talk to him about Jesus. How do I do it? Hmm, I could do this, I could do this. I'm going to put some music on and see what happens. Okay? Do the same. Look for opportunities. Create opportunities. Okay? Take small opportunities to strategize and plan to have conversations. As things progressed, we would go for a bit more spiritual things. Sometimes we'd pray. We'd meet before school, lunchtime, after school. I'd pray with individuals. I'd pray with groups. But I would model everything. Okay? If I wanted to show them how to pray, I would show them how I prayed. Okay? I would do that because that's what Jesus did. He modeled prayer with his disciples. I would ask questions about their lives. And as they grew to trust me, they'd ask questions about my life. Okay? Um, pretty much it was accessible areas. Okay? But that meant that over time they got more comfortable in asking certain questions. And I wanted to show them that it wasn't that it was about me that was perfect, it was about Jesus that was perfect. And actually, he was greater and bigger than anything else. I used those years of relationship to show them who Christ was. But as relationships with Jesus grew, we still tried hard to form these good relationships between ourselves. The fun stuff didn't end. Okay? And I've seen this in churches. People come in who are new to the church, and suddenly there's lots of fun things to do. And then once they really follow Jesus committed, it's just all Bible studies. You know, you go, and, and the fun stuff ends. Not the Bible studies can't be fun. Okay, John? They're great. Yeah? But, but, you know, we still played football. We still messed around. I can't tell you everything we did because I am still a teacher, and it might go wrong if I tell you everything. Yeah? But we still had a lot of fun. Okay, I still invested in them. If they, if they couldn't afford to go somewhere and they really wanted to go, I'd give them some money to go to show them actually money wasn't the most important thing. I said sorry when I had to say sorry. 
I'd step into relationships with them. This year, okay, so I don't teach um, them now, and this year, several of them regularly will come over to my house, okay? We'll talk, we'll laugh, we'll eat. We've had a lot of takeaways. Um, but we'll eat, and we'll play games, we'll talk and pray, and we'll pray about Jesus, and we'll pray about who he is, and we'll get stirred up amongst us. There's several WhatsApp conversations. I've got individual conversations with pretty much every single person, but there's also group, little groups. What about this? What about that? It's investing. Some weeks, there's three to four hours a week where I'm on the phone to different people, challenging them, loving them, trying to show them who Jesus is. That's what Jesus calls us to do. It's access, it's commitment, it's time, it's challenging, it's demanding. But that's what it means to go and make disciples. This year, some of them obviously come back to New Day and they're inviting their friends to come to New Day. So I have made disciples who are going to make disciples. That is beautiful and that's what it's all about. It's been six years in the making. Don't just look and think, oh wow, I really want this in my life. We're going to invest in some people and see what God does with it over time. That sounds challenging, but I mean it in a really loving way. Show people who Jesus is. A month ago, I got a text message from a board I hadn't spoken to in a year. Um, and life isn't going so great, so he contacted someone else, got my number of someone else and spoke to me. I rang him. We spent an hour and a half on the phone. We spoke about Jesus. We spoke about sin. We spoke about his family. We spoke about how glorious it is to know God. And there was an opportunity to share with him who Jesus is and what he had done in my life and what he could do in their life as well. Okay? Because there had been years of building into him, even though I hadn't seen him for a year, when there was that moment where he needed someone to talk to, or he needed somewhere to go, he knew where he could go. That's discipleship. That's what we're called to do. Now, this is my story. And there's so many other things I could say. I remember I rang Junior and Renardy when I was preparing. And I was like, can you think of anything big that I did? They're like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But there wasn't anything big. It was lots and lots and lots and lots of little things for years. Yeah? And loads of mistakes. Loads of mistakes. I have said things to students that I thought were right to say, and they have cried in front of me. And that was not the purpose. Okay? And then you have to say sorry, and then you have to work out what you've done wrong, and you have to build them up again. I've done that. Okay? Mistakes happen. But actually, trying to work out, in the course of my life, I want to introduce people to Jesus. That's what I'm here to do. Now, God might use you to invest into one person. Praise the Lord. He might use you to invest in loads. It doesn't really matter. He will use you, though, but you do have to be willing. Don't wait for the opportunity. Create opportunities. Let's do it. I need people in my life to love me. I need people in my life to challenge me, to ask me questions, to pray with me so that I can grow. Other people need me to do the same for them. I need my children to grow up. I'm passionate about this. My children need to grow up and people need to deliberately feed into them, deliberately love them, deliberately show them the Christian faith, not just tell them the stories. I can teach people that don't know Jesus about the stories. Easy. Okay? I need people to show them what it means to be a Christian. Exploits of faith. My children need you. And my children need the people that you are feeding into. They don't just need me. That's what church is about. Okay, and it matters, and it's about making disciples. I used to pray for revival. Sometimes I still do. Um, that God will break in and the church will just explode. Um, but actually, to be honest, if every single one of us saw one person saved every year, in five years' time, this church is a thousand strong. Okay? And I'm, it's a bit crude looking like that, and you know, the Bible's not really about that, and it's not just about numbers. I get all of that. But do you know what? Investing into people, big people, makes big church. It does. 
And for some of you, that's really investing into the people that are around you now, in the rows now. For others, it's in the workplace as well. For others, it's both. But you know what? Your life should be displaying what Christ has done in you. And you'll need to take them on that journey. And let's try and work out together how to make that happen. So look around. Speak to people. Who's not involved in certain things? Plan. Plan questions. Plan how to show them who Christ is. And let's, let's live a life where we can say by the end of it, Jesus said, go and make disciples, and I did actually go. I didn't wait to make disciples. You can't wait and make disciples. You do actually just have to go. Can I ask the band to come up, please? Um, just a couple more things before we end and sing a song. Um, one more story, maybe. Uh, on Friday, I had a couple of, couple of boys over my house, and... Um, I always, I, always, you know, I always plan before they come, what do I want to talk about? What do I want to express to them about God? And my question for them was, uh, what has God done in your life this year? That was my question for them. And their answers were lovely. They were really lovely. So it was like, um, I go to church now and I never used to go to church. I'm committed. Or um, I read the Bible more than I've ever done before. Or I actually pray. Or I want to pray. Um, or I sin less or I don't want to sin, or I tell other people about Jesus. Um, and I was like, sounds really nice, but you haven't answered the question. You told me what you have done. You have gone to church, you have prayed, you have read the Bible. What has God done in you to make you do those things? Why are you suddenly sacrificing your lying in order to go to church? What has God done in you to make that happen? Why are you suddenly opening a book that was written 2,000 years ago Okay, because you want to learn from it and grow. What's God done in you? And then, then the penny dropped, and it was talking about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. What Jesus had done, how Jesus saved them, died on the cross, taken away their sin, given them satisfaction they hadn't had before. That actually the things that they were into and sometimes still struggling are nowhere near as good as what it means to be hold, getting hold of Jesus. And I was like, you know what? When you're talking to others, that's what you talk about. Yes. You don't convince people about Jesus by talking about how you read your Bible. Okay? You don't convince people about Jesus by talking about how, oh, I used to do these things and I don't anymore. You talk to them about Jesus. You introduce them to a person because a person changes someone's life. That's it. Okay? I've got this dream. It's a bit Martin Luther King, that, isn't it? <laughs> I have a dream. Um, that, uh, when I get to heaven, and it's going to be eternal in heaven, so uh, I'm going to have a lot of time to do this. I'm going to bump into loads of people that I don't know. And I'm going to say to them, how did you know Jesus? How did you, how did you get here? How did God break into your life? And they'll say, um, I knew this person called Elwin. Or I knew this person called Renady or Mark or Junior or Abdul or Jordan or John or Principal or Phil or Maureen or Martin. I knew, I knew this person. And I was like, oh, that's cool because I know them. Yeah? And that person showed me Jesus and showed me actually I had to follow him. Because that's what it's about. You feed into people's lives, and then they feed into people's lives. And then suddenly you look around, and you're surrounded by people worshipping Jesus. Can I ask you to stand, please? I'm not going to do a, a little response for a few amount of people. It's a response for the church. Jesus calls us to go. He calls us to make disciples. And uh, we're going to sing a song which is declaring what we believe. Because I think that's important. You need to know what you believe. And then you need to work out what your life is in order to join it with what you believe and suddenly you can worship Jesus and show them who he is. Okay? Be clear on that. And before we do that, I just want to encourage you one more time. Work this out together. 
Work out in your marriages, with your friends, in your community groups. Sit down with people and say, actually, how do I go and make disciples? How do I go and make this happen? How do I show people how amazing Jesus is because what he's done in my life? If someone said to me, what has God done in my life, what would I say? How do I introduce someone to Jesus? Everyone introduces um, things to people. If you're into football, you introduce them to it. Okay? I've grew up with friends. They're into drugs. They're into sex. They're into alcohol. They're into good and bad things. And you get introduced to these things. We need to do the same, but we introduce people to Jesus. Jesus changes people's lives. Okay? So we're going to sing this song. I want to make it really clear. This is not about judgment. It's not about condemnation. If you've never told anyone about Jesus before, okay, stuff that, draw a line under it, and let's go. Okay? Don't just think, oh no, I've messed up the last however many years. No, you haven't. God's got hold of you. That's the purpose of the church. Okay? And we're going to run in who God is and what he's done in our lives. Okay? So let's sing, let's declare how good he is, and let's rejoice in what he's done. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.